In a world of clickbait news sites and misleading commentary, one channel will ramble endlessly about topics nobody cares about, has bad audio quality, and is the YouTube equivalent that Trouble Comic with Aunt May, with more content than any single person can reasonably watch or would even want to in the first place. Perch has somehow managed to bring the best and brightest in the world of comics down to his highly questionable level for your, let's call it entertainment. This is Perch. Hey everybody, this is Perch, and um, I'm gonna, I've, I've got the great opportunity to catch up with uh, Sean Murphy. How are you doing? Hey man, I'm back. Thanks for letting me be a regular guest. Oh, I mean, always. I, I mean, if you had the time and you weren't drawing, we'd be talk, be talking every day. It'd be, it'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, no one knows this, but I think I text with you maybe a few times a week, mm -hmm. sending you things that are annoying me about comics, or I check in with you to ask about any new drama going on because I'm not on Twitter. I'm sort of in the dark about what I should be mad at. You're exactly <laughs> perfect. I, I shouldn't supply you with uh, some of that stuff, but no, it's always fun, <laughs> always fun talking with you. And it's, it's been, uh, no, it's been very enjoyable getting to know kind of your side of the industry and everything you've done. And yeah. And uh, Thanks, you, you've got a lot of great advice. You've got a lot of great thoughts about this business. I try, man. You know, you know, I, as I told you uh, privately, I don't have a, a degree in marketing and business. I have an instinctual understanding of what I need to do, which has gotten me this far, but you know, you you have labels and terms to apply to these ideas. Like, you know what an ROI is. I didn't know what a return on investment was or how to think of it. Like, I knew the concept in my head, but I didn't know that there was a name for that. And that's one of a dozen different examples of like, oh, yeah, shit, I didn't go to business school and purchase really good at this. <laughs> and I'm happy to learn things I don't know. Like, I, I love learning new things and being able to use it in comics, especially when everybody is so bad at business. If you have like at least if you even have a yellow belt in business and comics, you're basically Bruce Lee. Yeah, it's well, and and so that's by design. I think the the industry built up to be very you know it's it was a creative, almost a commune kind of environment. You didn't need yeah. to worry about the business unless yeah. you were you know a couple positions. But now yeah. more than ever, it feels like you do. You do have to have these fundamentals for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it only helps you. You know, if it's a game of poker, every card you know you want as many aces as possible. Is my analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, and by being better at business, you give yourself another ace. By you know having a lawyer and reading your contracts, you give yourself another ace. By having a five-year plan, you know you can improve your hand. It's not just a chance game. It's like you know if this is a D and D game, a role-playing game. You have as many XP points as you want. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when you try to talk to a lot of creative people about this stuff, they get intimidated and they stop listening, or they get angry because they're not good at it and they just want to tell you to stop trying to change things or stop being a naysayer or, you know, don't rain on their parade or whatever. So there's resistance to it, as you were saying. It's, it's a shame because I think a lot of people would want more control and that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. Just being more informed of what's going on, being able to control what's happening a little yeah. bit here, um, less subjected to kind of the random whims of whatever's happening. Yeah. In business. yeah. I uh, tried to tell my friends who are my friends who are artists, way early on when I, cause I sort of knew about this NFT thing before it, it became public knowledge. And I was trying to explain to them why it's a, a, an opportunity, how, you know, selling a digital file of your stuff 
uh, and then future customers resell your file and you own stock in your own piece. You're getting free money as your digital piece of art is traded back and forth. Like in theory, it's a good idea that can net you a lot of money without you having to do any work. It's like owning royalties on your own piece. It's like creating stock every time you draw something. Yeah. Uh, and first of all, they didn't understand why the hell is it worth anything if it's digital, which is a mind fuck for most people. I understand that. But I, I was trying to lay it out for them more and more, and I could just see them getting upset and intimidated and just stressed out. And he finally said, like, I, I can't talk about this stuff anymore. It's just I'm losing sleep. It's making me feel like I'm not doing everything I can to make money for my family. And you're telling me that there's this whole thing I don't know about and I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I just feel like because I know I'm not good at it, I'm a failure already and that makes me mad and I don't want to listen. And I think what he said really puts a fine point on what a lot of, a lot of creative people feel in general when you talk about business is they feel bad that they're not good at it or they feel silly that they haven't been paying attention or they feel ignorant, but they don't want to admit it. And that's why they've resisted. Uh, that's profound. I think it's it's common human nature that there's this interesting feeling of depression, I think, that sets in is when you're kind of blissfully ignorant, you don't yeah. know what you don't know. And then yeah. once you are just, you, you learn just a little bit, it almost is like your life gets worse because you're just, you're smart enough to know there's a lot you don't know. And it, yeah. it and that's kind of, I think, what you're describing there. So, yeah. You know, trick is to persevere, but that's that's really hard. Also, when you have a deadline, and particularly for artists, you know, that's a it's a grind. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the things that I'm going to get into, I think, if you're this is, a, a, I wanted to collect all my thoughts in one place. It's not advice on how to get into comics. This is advice for people who are already in comics, who want to stay in comics, who want to get to the next level, or who don't want to be left behind. So it's for a very specific type of listener. Um, you know, all this stuff is my my opinion, obviously. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk to Perch about it is because you're better at business than I am. You you know more, and you can sort of fact check me as I go through these. So you're being very you're being overly kind there. But yes, I, I'm <laughs> I'm fascinated to hear what you have in mind because I think this is a, a there there are kind of like we were talking about earlier. There are a lot of advice pieces about how to break into comics and a lot of different views and a lot of. But the the challenge is right now the breaking into comics is is almost it's become much easier there's a lot of different routes for you i think so too uh, i mean i i, I really I, you know you kind of st- uh, made this point with a recent podcast and i've said the same thing if you like comics it's a really good time to be alive right now if you like comic movies fuck yeah if you like comic games and action figures hell yeah if you want to publish your own stuff i mean it is the best time in comics in the history of comic books period if you're into Marvel and DC stuff, however, it's a little it's a little scary. Yeah. That's the only caveat. Generally, on all fronts, it is the best fucking time to be in comics ever. And uh, I don't I mean I really do feel really hopeful and positive about it, even though I am gonna get sort of uh, pessimistic in my tone here and there. I generally am a very positive guy when it comes to the industry. I think <laughs> I think getting in, like you said, it, it's easy. If you're a fan, certainly it's there is a lot of material that you you have access to that you didn't have before. But you, you can get into comics. You have a bunch of routes. You can do it on your own. You can find an indie. You can just, just do a web comic. There's lots of different ways. But And I think this is what you're about to go into. Once you've taken that first step, mm-hmm. staying in and succeeding is becomes, I think, monumentally more difficult. Yeah. I think hanging on. Because I, I had a... I mean, I've been working professionally since 2002. From 2000, I was in college doing professional work, turning it in for assignments. Um 
And uh, I never made, I mean, one year I made $3,000 is all I made. When I drew this book called Off-Road for Oni, I wrote and drew it. I only made three grand that year. That's all I made, like way below poverty line. Um, from 2002 to 2008, I was scared and I, I thought I got a foot in when I did Batman Scarecrow year one, 2005. And then I couldn't get any more work for DC. And then I got a gig doing Teen Titans but because I drew um, a character incorrectly, they wouldn't release this, these 48 pages. Mm-hmm. So even though I got paid and got out, and I, I'm like, well, maybe I need to draw more of a house style. And I just kept running into barriers and not sleeping and being frustrated and angry. And, you know, if they had Twitter back then, I would have been a mess. You'd see me doing exactly <laughs> making the mistakes that everyone's making. Like, you know, I don't think people should do that on Twitter, but I don't blame them for being frustrated. And this energy has to go somewhere, you know, yeah. like the reason I'm so calm and relaxed about everything now is because like I have money, I have uh, control, I've, I've got the things that I wanted, like I've checked my boxes. So it's easy for me to not be pissed off all the time. But yeah, if I was, you know, stuck in the maw and the grind of comics, like 80% of people are, then I'd be I'd be pissed too. And Twitter, it'd be tempting. It would be hard not to go and mouth off on Twitter, honestly. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it is that. I think it's not necessarily good behavior, but it's understandable behavior. If you're if you're yeah. in that stress zone and and life. And again, I think that comics maybe does a, a disservice to people by saying uh, it's really hard to break in. But once you break in, it's a family and it's cheerful and everybody's going to look out for everybody. And uh, yeah, that's what shit. Yeah. Couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> so I think there's yeah. got to be a lot of uh, yeah. way, bad wake up calls. and all. Yeah. This. Once you get in, everyone to your face will welcome you. Uh, but then they'll want your job. They'll think you're overrated. They'll throw you under the bus. If it suits them, they'll bad mouth you at the bar. Um, yeah. There's a difference between friends and comics and acquaintances, which I'll get into later. But there's very few friends, friends I have in comics, like people who I really love to death. I see them as my family. And most of the people I know in comics are acquaintances, um, which should be, you know, held. You should handle them differently. Uh, and yeah. some acquaintances maybe would be friends if I you know, spent more time with them. But for the most part, I don't see it. I wish it was a family. I wish it really was, you know, hands across America for comics. But I mean, come on. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. very backstabby. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess it's not that unusual from other industries. It's just that I, I, the other industries, like in the pharmaceutical industry, nobody is saying, hey, everybody who's a lab tech is a friend. They, they don't, they don't right. pretend. Um, and in comics, there's they, this expectation that is somewhat laughable when you think about it. Yeah, I think most creators tend to be nerds in high school and get got picked on and bullied and felt like outcasts. And now that they've found each other, they feel like, yay, we all understand each other because we all read, you know, D&D novels and, you know, played video games. And we're, we know what it's like to be shoved in the locker, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, it, you, you feel like you found this safe space. It, it, it should be a happy, safe space in theory. Like, I can see why you would like to think of it as a family. But, you know, any nerd, any raging nerd with power, I mean, you know, look what happens. I mean, wasn't mm-hmm. that basically what started World War II? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not wrong. Um, well, a you artist too. What do you know? It's, <laughs> if, Hitler had, if Hitler had Twitter, maybe then that would have happened. <laughs> oh no, that's yeah, all. All yeah, social media would have solved World War Two, um, yeah. or or accelerated it. Um, I kind of hope you keep this in and don't cut. I think this edit. I think this joke is very good. <laughs> the joke. Is, it's unfortunately it's it's very on the nose. Um, 
I can see the bleeding cool headline now. Uh, oh, anyway, man. yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you came up with just a couple uh, guidelines rules uh, that you think yeah. really help somebody. So, so let's let's talk about those. Cool. Yep, I sent you a list. Um, well, yeah. so this is assuming you've already got a career, and uh, the golden wisdom that I've heard and you've heard many times is you need three things to make it in comics. You need to be talented, you need to be on time, and you need to be nice. And I think generally that holds true, but I, I was all three of those things for s six or seven years before I finally realized that it wasn't enough. I think being talented is probably 80% of it. Yep. Um, timely and nice is like 10%, 10% because yeah, well, look how many comics are late. Look how many people are unkind. Clearly mm -hmm. those last two things just kind of go out the window. But if you are obviously the next Travis Ture, then I don't think you're going to have a hard time getting work. So, um, Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, talent is king in all of this. It probably matters more than any other advice I'm about to give you. But uh, I did have some other more specific rules that you don't usually hear about. Uh, um, so, for me, my biggest rule is, rule number one, take advantage of strong opportunities. And for me, this is where luck meets preparation. So, sometimes you're at a show and you meet a writer that you click with. Like, genuinely, you click with this writer or an editor that you click with. That's a relationship worth pursuing. And if that opportunity lands in your lap, you need to be prepared to drop everything, take that gig, and try to kick the ass out of it as much as you possibly can. Um, yeah. You know, you won't always have these opportunities. You, you're probably gonna starve for long periods of time between opportunities. But when you do get a writer that you click with or an editor or a gig that suddenly becomes available, you need to jump on that and try to you know, kick the ass out of it as far, as much as you can. It's it's funny you say that because almost every interview I've done, and then if you listen to interviews with other people about these kind of epic projects mm -hmm. that have come up, almost nine times out of ten, the origin story is always uh, you know we ran into each other and this opportunity just kind of came out of nowhere and we jumped on right. it. Right. It's, it's <clears throat> never a or not never, but it's rarely a we we worked hard for fifteen years to get this project off the ground. And yeah. It's, it's usually a lot more happenstance. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I met uh, my first big opportunity was Batman Scarecrow Year One. My friend uh, wasn't able to do it, so I took over the gig, and it was basically uh, a money grab off of Batman Begins back in two thousand five. It was the origin story of Scarecrow, um, and uh, it didn't get the eyes that I wanted on it. It didn't have a huge sale, and it was a money. It was, it was a, a thing based off of a movie. So by its nature, it probably wasn't going to showcase me the way I wanted, but it paid the bills really well. Like, you know, after that gig, I was able to buy my truck, um, um, you know, yeah. pay off my insurance, whatever it is. So I was super happy for it, but it certainly wasn't the thing that was going to get me on people's radar. For me, that was when I got, um, I got in well with Karen Berger and Vertigo, and she really liked my stuff. And we struggled to find me a book that would work for me. And finally, the one that came through was uh, Joe the Barbarian with Grant Morrison. Uh, and I knew, and that was 2008 or nine. I knew, like, this is my opportunity. Uh, I don't care what the story is. I know Grant's a huge name. I know he's not going to let me down. I need to make my stand here. Like, I'm planting my feet in the ground. I'm going to make this book as fucking beautiful as I can so that nobody will ever go, who's Sean ever again? You know, like... It, it was definitely like D-Day for me. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily a project I would have picked, but it didn't matter. It was the biggest opportunity I had at the time. And I, I remember working like six days a week, 
through Christmas just to get it done. And I was able to get Dave Stewart on colors, which helped. And, you know, Karen was a great editor. And unfortunately, it didn't sell well. Like, not many people remember what that story was, but they remember the art. Um, and that's when I became an artist artist, or at least that's what I was told. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of things that I don't like about my work back then. Like, I, it's hard for me to look back at old stuff. So I'm not bragging about Joe the Barbarian, but if you're asking about my biography, it really was Joe and Grant Morrison's help that really made a difference. That was such a big step up from where I'd been the previous seven years. Yeah. And that was an example of a project that came fairly suddenly to you. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I, the, the mistake I made before was I was on books that wouldn't showcase my art the way it should be, you know, like me on teen Titans isn't really a good fit. Uh, so the other books I did back then, I did a Star Trek one shot, like being on a one shot, isn't going to do it. Being a fill in guy, isn't going to do it. Being in an anthology, isn't going to do it. Um, you have to say yes to those gigs. If you want to pay your bills, I get it. But, um, when you do those things, you're kind of stuck in the grind. And the minute you have a better opportunity to jump out of the grind and try to st stand in the spotlight, you have to seize that moment. Um, you know, some books like uh, some books inherently offer a better showcase for your art. Like anyone on Batman is probably going to get a boost, but you know, give me like a C level Marvel book right now. I don't even know what that would be. Perch, um, what's a C, what's a C level Marvel book? Like eighty percent. Sorry, um, <laughs> I, you know, I the, the problem is it it fits with what you're saying. There's a lot of Marvel books that are limited series. Yeah, uh, whether it's like a, a Taskmaster limited series that is there you go. Yeah. designed to kind of tie into the movie. Yeah, um, but you're you're saying something really powerful here because there are a lot of anthologies. The companies are now putting stuff out almost mm -hmm. monthly of an of an anthology of of one form or another. Yeah, and you rarely see the creators on those. Uh, you know, a year later, um, yeah. but they're being billed as this is your ticket into the industry is do this anthology, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem to be. It's not, no. And I, I have a friend of mine, a um, uh, really close friend. He's doing some Marvel stuff. And he keeps saying yes to gigs that I think he should start saying no to because he'll say yes to last minute jobs. They're, uh, it's a one shot or it's a two issue comic. It's something that's going to come and go. It's usually late. So he's mm -hmm. under the gun as far as deadline, which means he can't do his best art. So, you know, he's at 80% efficiency. He's cranking out he's not happy with it and uh it comes and goes and nobody gives a shit and i know he needs to pay bills i, I certainly understand that but I, I i had a talk with him i'm like i think you need to start saying no like if i were you i would plan my own project on the side and kickstart it and take time with the art to make it better and then reapproach marvel and dc with your new stuff but right now they're treating you like a uh like a, a cover band yeah. you know and it's easy i know why they do that i know why editors need last minute fill in artists like i get it but the trick is to get out of that and to change the mentality of the people that you're working with to make you a feature rather than like a last minute guy. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting trap because not only, um, and not only do you, are you not, you, you start to get, I think thought of one way yeah. inside the company, you're not thought of for an ongoing project. You're thought of as the, the person who's going to bail somebody out at the last minute. And, and there isn't that feeling of appreciation. Like uh, next time I'll get this person a real book. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. You know, the other thing I, I almost put on this list, I forgot to, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. I almost hate saying this word, but I think an artist maybe should consider his or her brand. 
mm -hmm. about when it comes to projects, what is your brand? Yeah. Um, so just for, for Scott Snyder, for example, for a while, his brand was, we, he got a big boost with American Vampire with Stephen King. So he was like the horror guy. Uh, and, you know, horror isn't that different than crime noir and Batman. So you could see how, you know, Scott would easily fit into Batman. And then, you know, once the sales were high, he could do whatever he wants. Um, for my stuff, I was offered a lot of horror gigs because I use a lot of black. Um, my stuff makes sense on Batman. I could see myself doing like Daredevil or Logan, but I can't do YA stuff. Um, I don't want to do a big, colorful team team book i do not put me on jla i mean it would look awful like there's certain things that not only am i not interested in doing but i know that you know you wouldn't want to see motorhead you know cover Mo mozart or maybe you would <laughs> yeah no i i mean there there comes a point where it becomes cool to see a kind of really established artist do something outside their comfort zone and that's its own attraction but that's fair yeah i think you're, you're making a really good point in that you, you do you want to have a something you're known for you want to have a, a go-to style or something that that really yeah. fits and if, if you just kind of run around and do all kinds of things um yeah. things that you know you're not that good at yeah um it only can hurt you yeah, I, before I took Joe the Barbarian, I was offered a, a book with Neil Young called Greendale, which uh, Cliff Chang ended up drawing. Uh, and I was the artist that was supposed to be on it. And I actually consciously made my art dirty so Karen would take me off of that. Um, no offense to Neil Young, but I did not want to do 150 pages of a Greendale, this, this concept album that he released a while back. It was about, you know... Northern California, trees, protests. So I don't know. It just, it just didn't speak to me. Um, and I knew that wasn't in my brand. I mean, I don't really have a specific thing I'm going for. I just know the doors that are open to me, given the skills that I have. And I just didn't feel like that book was a good fit. I got offered um, Greek Street uh, as well uh, at Vertigo, which was, um, I forget who wrote that. This is like 2005 or six. And I read the pitch and I turned it down. It was like, you know, Greek mobsters in England, you know, every mobster was based off a Greek God. And like, I, I hate Greek mythology type <laughs> bullshit. And the editor called me. He's like, why, why don't you want to take this? I'm like, Hey man, this could be amazing, but it's, it's just not my thing. And I, and I'm sorry. Like I know Karen's been trying to find me work and I wish I could say yes, but like I've been saying yes to everything my entire career. And I just have to start trying to find stuff that fits me better. And I drew a line and he was pissed. He didn't say it to my face, but he was really upset. And like, who who does Sean think he is? How dare he turn this book down? And I confronted him later because the book did not sell very well. And it ended up that me getting off that book was actually a really good move because it yeah. would have been bad. Yeah. And no, <laughs> and it's, only reason yeah, no, <laughs> I think that your brand, it, it's, it's, uh, some people struggle with that word because they think it sounds corporate or marketing, but it's, it's, it's the right word. It's saying, you know, how, how do you, people want, how do you want people to think about you? How do you want yeah. people to know your style and kind of what you do? I mean, yeah. you know, Art Adams, if you were to you know, get him on a book, if, if he was taking projects like uh, that mm -hmm. feature no humans, just, uh, just, just kind of, or, or, or basically non-superheroes, I don't know what, like a yeah. 1950s noir. I, actually, Art Adams does cool stuff for everything, but. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem with his stuff. It's so good. <laughs> it is, there, but there are things like where you, you just, you want to see him put his best foot forward and you and and he he built up his brand uh, with superheroes. Yeah. If he had started like early in his career, Jim Lee had started very early doing um, I, I have no idea. Just some kind of uh, moody yeah. character sitting around eating lunch all day. Like he wouldn't <laughs> have been popular. Yeah, I think Jim knew he was good at colorful, poppy, 
team books. That mm-hmm. is definitely his brand. And he, he managed to, to adapt to Batman, which is great. Um, yeah. But, you know, big names like, um, you know, Sinkavich. I mean, mm-hmm. I see him on anything. But do I want to see Sinkavich draw, um, you know, Gen 13? No. Probably <laughs> yeah, not a good fit. I, yeah. I mean, Jay Scott Campbell the, all day long. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you, you put uh, like a Sinkavich on a, a book like, um, I, I don't know, like Miss Marvel. And that would be weird. It would be yeah. weird for everybody. Um, and, and so that's, that's just, there's styles. And I think paying attention to your brand's uh, pretty important. Yeah. And I, because the, the branding thing gets caught up in like these, the se- selfie culture and these influencers. And my brand is this, my brand is that. Like people try to establish their brand before they actually have a career. And it right. almost seems arrogant. And uh, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting once you have a bit of a track record and you can see in hindsight what's worked for you and what hasn't worked for you and the kind of stuff that you're interested in, the, you, your brand should become more clear, but it, it shouldn't stop you from doing what you want to do either. Like it should only, I think it's just something worth considering. And I don't think it's necessarily arrogant to think of uh, us all having a, a unique brand. Yeah. You should, you should, it, it comes to something actually you're going to mention later around knowing yourself, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's uh, no, I think that's good. So your your second rule, um, I think, is is also on the kind of on the nose. It's uh, having a five year plan. I mean, this is a big one in business. They teach you this in business school the first day, right, Perch? Yep. Oh yeah. Um, and part of it is why I like your channel so much is uh, having a plan is good. But the more you understand the business of comics, the better off you'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know. So what I do personally is I ask myself a ton of questions, like where do I want to be in five years? What titles do I want to have worked on? Which creators do I want to align with? Do I want to be a Marvel DC? Do I want to have an indie vibe? Uh, what income level am I expecting? Um, you don't necessarily need all the answers right away, but you should definitely have those questions in your head and think about how you can realistically get there in five years. Um, have a trajectory. and Don't be just going with the wind. Try to steer, steer your own ship a little bit. You know. Um, another question Absolutely. I asked is like, Whose career do I want to mirror? Uh, like, who's a guy or girl out there that I like and respect who's got, you know, the, the sway or the income or the vibe or whatever it is that I, I really like? And I settled it in, like, I want to be like Frank Miller. Um, I don't, but I want more output. Like, I don't want to disappear from Batman for a decade before I do a sequel. Um, I like that he does, like, books about politics and revolutions. It's kind of my brand. Um, but I, I don't want to blow my money on stupid things. I'm not saying Frank did this, but for there's a lot of artists that have. Once they make it, they blow it on drugs and strippers, and they just they think, great, I made it. So now I'm just going to stop trying. Like, yeah, I want to keep. I want to make all the good decisions that my heroes made and avoid their bad decisions. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. I, you know, <laughs> business having a five year plan. Um, there's you can get really nerdy with it, certainly, and and business yeah. school teach you kind of various things around uh, KPIs and OKRs, and then you can get very you know, term heavy with it. Um, but, I wish I could, I'm going to lie and say, I know what those mean. <laughs> well, KPIs is a good one. And I, I think it fits exactly what you're saying here. Kind of as you're making out your plan, KPIs mean key performance indicators. So it's, it's really ah, to say, I used to am I on, yeah, am I on my plan? Is yeah. this, uh, you know, in five years, I want to be here. So at, at the end of year one, uh-huh. what are the, the things that should be happening in my life to get me to that five-year place? 
Um, what uh, it, it, if you can do it that way, you, you make your five-year plan and then you make checkpoints along the way that allow you to course correct and kind of figure out what's going on. And it's, it's key for business, but it's, it's really key for people's careers as well. What are your, right. how can you determine the health of what you're doing? Are yeah. you on track or not? So maybe one KPI, uh, which I'm writing down, by the way, so I don't forget. <laughs> uh, one, one would be, I want to have over 30,000 units sold in my next book. That's a very thing that you could look at a year later and see, did I hit the number I wanted to hit? That means you're going to need to know what your numbers are. You're going to need to have to bug your editor, what the digital sales are, whatever. You're going to have to ask questions, but you can get that information. Or did I, my goal is to produce, you know, four books or six books in a year. And well, that's an easy thing to check at the end of the year. Have you actually done it? Like there's very simple ways, non-stressful ways to, to, you know, check yourself to make sure you're on the right course, you know? No, exactly. And and you notice in both the things you mentioned, they're tangible. It's not like, am yeah. I happier or am I sad? You, you can actually point to a number and say, right. 30,000 is my metric. So I'm going to make sure I have enough data to know if I hit that. And right. then like you said, you, you find yourself asking questions that you should be asking anyway. But mm-hmm. if you didn't have this kind of goal and this metric you were measuring to, mm-hmm. you know, you might not. And you might miss some opportunities to do a lot yeah. of things. So it's... Well, what was the other acronym you threw out there? Oh, uh, OKR. So this is, uh, <laughs> this, I'm, I'm nerd central here today. Objectives no, this is why I have you here, man. This is what I need to know. <laughs> uh, objectives and key results. It's something a little bit newer. And this is just a way of kind of breaking down um, what are what are the things I'm trying to get to? What are the results I'm looking for? And it's uh-huh. just it's just being disciplined about kind of your your career. And it, it, it may sound, again, very nerdy. It may sound very like, I was going to take all the creative fun out of it. But it's kind of the opposite. If you... Yeah. If you have these frameworks, it frees you up to be more creative because you right. have a, a, a structure to work with it. Right. Now, when you use these acronyms around your wife, does it turn her on or does it turn her off? It, it, I probably, I, you know, I'll be honest, probably off. So, <laughs> so I do it on this. Channel. Well, it, it's turning me on first. So thank you. Okay. All right. Make everybody listening uncomfortable. Perfect. Um, no, it, it's, it's, and we say it in different ways. I mean, I, the reality is if people really think about it, I think most people walk through life uh, with some ideas of, of results, their results yeah. oriented, whether using the acronyms or not, but yeah. that is structure. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things that I've used as KPIs. Like I wanted to take weekends off uh, and <laughs> I, it was a simple thing. Like, can I just work five days a week from nine to five and manage to make enough income and stay in comics? And I, I found a way. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are afraid to take weekends off because they feel like they need to just keep working and working and never stop because they don't ever feel secure. But I found that forcing myself to take weekends off for, made me find other ways to make up for that. And it saved my sanity. Uh, no, absolutely. And that's a perfect example of your objective was you want to have weekends off. Your key results are, well, I'm going to need to do these things in order to make that happen. And and so you, you find yourself getting into a good system where... yeah. It actually, again, it frees you up from for being creative because what it takes away is the kind of intangible worry that I think bogs a lot of people down. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to say it. Um, uh, so the other part of rule number two here is, uh, is your plan realistic? Um, yeah. You know, if you really want to have your book made into a movie, that's a little unrealistic. You can get an agent. Um, but uh, having gone through two movie deals myself, there's very little I can do to control Hollywood. Um, like, so all I'm saying is there's some plans that are not realistic. Yeah. Um, and you obviously need to make sure that the steps you're taking uh, are going to get you there. It's funny. I'm not, I won't mention this person's name in a podcast. You said there was this writer who everyone in comics knows, and they all kind of duck behind bushes and hide 
because this person is just too much to take. Uh, they don't realize that they're, they are blacklisted from two companies, or in other words, they're never going to be hired by any editors. No one wants to work for them. And this person doesn't know any of this. And yeah. I, I was almost, as a side note, I'm almost like, shouldn't somebody tell him? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, the, the sad part, it, it's painful because you see this stuff and the, you know, the person Everyone's being, like going to want to know who exactly we're talking about right now. <laughs> well, it, it, and there's several. The problem is there's there's many people who fall into this. And it's, it's, it's um, there's a lot of people, I think, in the in comics who are, you know, shadow black, you know, shadow blacklisted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shadow banned. And they don't realize it. And it's painful to watch it. But as time builds up, nobody wants to say anything. And yeah. But this goes back to if you have some some good key performance indicators, you have some ways to kind of look at your career, then you can kind of sniff out something is wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm going to these shows, but I'm not getting any objectives out of it. And so yeah. I need to do something different. And this this person in particular that we're talking about loves to blame shift. It's not his fault that he's not getting work. It's not, you know, he's doing everything right. He's, mm-hmm. you know, stroking the right egos on Twitter and getting mad at the right things. And he has the right friends. He's attacking the right people. But uh, I've never read his writing, but I assume it sucks. <laughs> I mean, if it was. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, nobody has decided that it's worth putting up with him. Oh, even it. worse, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and that's just a terrible place to be. I, I, and I think, but if you do, if you don't have a good system of kind of assessing how you're doing and where you're going, yeah, then, yeah, then you're you're yeah. going to be in this trouble. Yeah, um, and the last part of the of my rule number two here is uh, having a plan B. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a military thing. Um, oh, I guess it's a all oh, it's a life thing. But yeah, I feel like the best plan often has the best backup plan. Yes. Um, so for me, I would, would always have a side project going on because comics was in, infrequent. Uh, scripts were late so your backup plan could be i have a list of 100 commissions that counts i I try not to get into the commission thing because i find it's very hand to mouth and i don't like that but that is a good backup plan um having a what i would do is create i'd I'd write a script on the side or i'd be reading books on how to write i read books on screenplay and like why is chinatown the best script ever stuff like that and then eventually I started building my own plots and coming up with ideas. And uh, when I had enough time, I would draw 10 pages, which I knew I would need eventually if I was going to pitch it. You know, and a few years would go by and I had a pretty nice little set of pitches uh, moving. And I had, you know, Punk Rock Jesus planning stages or whatever. And finally, you know, I hit a point with Vertigo where I was like, hey, Karen, you know, I'd like to do Vampire, but I really want to do this book called Punk Rock Jesus. And I showed it to her. Uh, all that work got done on the side while I was waiting for Grant Morrison, while I was waiting for other writers to get their scripts in or whatever, you know, and you don't yep. want to try to be working eight hours a day. Don't just watch TV and play video games and call it a wasted day. Like force yourself to crawl forward <laughs> however you can. Just try to stay honest. Um, so I can't think of anything that makes you happier too in your life. If you have a plan B, uh, first yeah. of all, life's going to throw you a curveball. It's not going to work out like you hope. So right. if you have a plan B, then you're not going to be phased or you'll be less phased when these things happen. Mm-hmm. And it will feel like just a natural kind of progression of your your career, your day or whatever else. It won't feel like a disaster and you, you've gone off the cliff and you have to regroup everything from scratch. It's right. It's just much healthier yeah. for you mentally. Like all the people that their plan A fails, they get pissed off and they grab their phone and they're on Twitter. Imagine if they were like, they saw it as an opportunity. Like, I'm glad this editor is late. 
I'm not going to complain because now I'm happy. I get to work on my, my, my side project, which is my baby. And then they right. wouldn't be posting all that crap online. Like just the little ways that it helps you mentally. Cause it also gives you control over your career, which is something that most creators don't have. If you're working on a pitch that no one's seen drawing pages that only you're going to look at for a while, you're not answering to anyone but yourself. Like that's a really good feeling to have that kind of control, even if you're not being paid for it yet. Yeah. And, and that's interesting you say that because I think, um, you know, obviously pay is important and you need to, you need to get paid for what you do and you need to be progressing yourself financially, but having a level of control, you, you can't undervalue that. Even if it's yeah. your own project, even if it's making nothing, having something you own from end to end that you can progress when nobody else is moving, um, gets you out of wasted time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so rule number three is, uh, tr- <laughs> this is obvious trust good people, avoid the bad people. And for good people, what I'm talking about in comics are people who are professional, hardworking, honest, and genuine. Good people are also consistent. Uh, they look out for you because they genuinely like you, not because they need something from you or they're hoping to advantage themselves in some way in the future. I think these people are friends. And I, like I said before, I think friends in comics is actually rare. I think most people you meet are acquaintances, or maybe we can call them future friends. Um, Glad I, I, I you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and you want to avoid bad people. Bad people are selfish. They're erratic. They're delusional. They blame others. They make excuses. They love to gossip. They'll throw you under the bus if it gets them ahead. They're more obsessed with Twitter than actual work. And I, I think that people listening to this right now, you have to be honest with yourself. Are you a good judge of character? Like for real? Because yeah. we all think we are. Um, like I know I am because I remember when I first listened to Perch's podcast, I'm like, I'm going to make this guy my friend. I love this guy. This is the kind of shit I need to, I don't even know what ROIs are, but now I do. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> like I have good instincts. Like I know immediately, like the people that I didn't like in comics for the last 12 years and the last two years, they all got booted out for sexual harassment charges or people figured out they were assholes or they're taking literal pictures of their asshole. Like I got to claim in the past few years, I didn't like these people before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> now everyone else sees what I saw all along. You all thought I was Mr. Angry. Like, what's your problem? Why can't you give that guy a chance? Well, well, well. Now that he's we've been revealed to be harassing women for the last five years. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, being a good judge of character is important. Um, obviously, in any business, Perch, it, you seem like you're a good judge of character. Are you? I, I it, through trial and error, though, it's it's funny because I, I went through the cycle. I like you mentioned, I thought I'm a great judge of character. And yeah. then I I was bad multiple times, uh, trusted where I shouldn't have trusted or uh, yeah. had to look for the wrong things. And then it took me a while. I mean, initially, you're like, how that person screw me How And you get very angry at somebody else. And yeah. eventually I, I had to get to why am I screwing this up? Because, you know, yeah. this is a bad person, but why in the world did I let this person in my life? Like, what what was I thinking? And it took a lot of kind of realization of I need to look for different things. And I think I've gotten better at it. But yeah, I'm very like you, I guess I'm very cautious about who's a friend, who's an acquaintance. And and it's very hard to go from column A to column yeah. B. Yeah. You know, for me, I, th- I think there's simple tells. Like when you go to BarCon after any show, <laughs> you go to the bar. Yes. If someone is you're talking to keeps looking around for somebody better than you to talk to that that's not a good person it's called shoulder surfing is when their eyes are drifting around your shoulders trying to they're like kind of half listening but they're really looking at who's entering the bar and if there's anybody that can help them get ahead that they're going to ditch you for it's very easy to spot that that is a bad person maybe the person's a good person in some ways and they don't realize that they're doing it 
but generally that's the kind of person I try to avoid. I think that's that's smart. And it's funny because I'm typing notes for our chat here for when I later put it in. So I realize I'm looking at another screen. So I'm doing I'm doing it to Sean right now. Oh, no, 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 it's OK. <laughs> but I'm by myself. <laughs> no, you're, that's such a good tell. It's the the person who looks like they're having a conversation with you on autopilot. And you start to get the feeling like they just yeah. they're looking for how to level up the conversation they're having with you for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone that hogs the conversation and won't let you talk. That bothers me in general anyway. Oh yeah. Um, I always try to take up 50% of the conversation. Like I don't want to hold court and a lot of people in comics like to just go on and on and hold court. Uh, I don't like those people. Hey, maybe they can't help. Uh, I saw, you know, Mike Mignola holding court in a room once and I was like, ugh, fuck this guy. And I, I like Mike, Mike's a friend. <laughs> so I say that jokingly. <laughs> and then I, I talked to Mike later on when he was in a different mood and he was very nice and very helpful. And, uh, yeah, I, I misjudged him by judging him so quickly for holding court. Um, but generally people that are conversation hogs are not people that I really want to hang out with because they're so self-involved. Uh, and that's just not, yeah, it's just not what I'm into. No, it's, it's, um, I, that's a great one. I, I, I kind of along those lines, uh, one for me became, you know, what, what level of empathy is a person showing to a bad situation? And it's yeah. a comic gets canceled or a person loses her job or anything else. And I can't tell you the amount of either comic editors or professionals when I'm around and we hear somebody lost their job at a con, half the people are like, oh, it's terrible. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I hope they, they can do this or that. I should you know, reach out. Yeah. Another half of the people who go, oh man, my project is screwed now. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. You may be thinking that in your head, but you shouldn't let that bubble out. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 I fucked this up once. Um, so I knew that DC was going to be leaving New York like a year and a half before everyone else did. In fact, I thought everyone else sort of knew in the office, but apparently they didn't. I knew that their uh, lease was up on the the spot they were renting. So when I got a call from Mark Doyle saying that uh, they're all going to have to move to California, I sort of jokingly responded. Man, I'm glad I uh, got Batman White. I'm glad I got my foot in the door before this happened. <laughs> and um, that was really not the thing I should have said at that moment because I really didn't gauge how upset and depressed everyone in the office was. And, and Mark was kind, and he's like, listen, man, I love you, but uh, it's kind of a shitty thing to say right now. Everyone's really upset. Like People are having to uproot their lives. And he's right. I, I totally didn't get it. Uh, I apologize. I, even now I feel awful for that, um, for not being sensitive. <laughs> It's funny though, you say, um, I mean, Mark had a good reputation for, he would say things like that. Most people just think it. And yeah. I think Mark genuinely tried to to bring careers along or to help. Yeah, he did. I mean, I, I was uh, it's just a side note. Uh, and if Mark, if you're listening, I love you. I can't believe, because he brought Scott Snyder in. It was him that found Scott Snyder and brought him from a book reading in Manhattan and had him pitch. Like talk about having a good instinct for people. Mark did. Oh yeah, uh, I wouldn't have White Knight at all if, if Mark hadn't said, "What do you need? Do you want to do your own book? What do you want to do?" Like he he opened the door for me to talk about that. So there's two big talents right there. Just because Mark Doyle said the right thing at two different points in his career, I don't know what he was making when he got let go. I know that they were trying to cut budgets, and you know if you're making a lot, you're in the crosshairs. But it just I I sort of thought that he would be exempt from the layoffs because he's such an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a personal note too. Like that's when I'm still wrapping my head around. He was, you know, I think he was great, and he did have the kind of the old school, and it fits with your list a little bit here. Of, of once upon a time, I think editors believed it was part of their job to mm-hmm. all the editors to 
help mentor and grow and, and, and yes. teach. And uh, today, um, I, you know, it's not necessarily that they don't, but they don't have the time to do it. It's, yeah. it's that that's kind of very rare. So if you find somebody like that, you want to hold yeah. on to as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you're right. I think, cause you know, Bob Shrek kind of mentored me a little bit. Karen did, you know, she's like, you know, I, she didn't like punk rock Jesus when I first pitched it. I didn't write the script in the right format. So she's like, well, you know, when you work with Grant, really pay attention to how he does panels and this, this and that. And she gave me a little bit of guidance and it was all I needed because I, I figured out what she was saying. But yeah, like she mentored me. Bob Shrek sort of did. Mark Doyle did. Um, yeah, it's kind of a lost art. You're right. It's uh, yeah, I think that's that's really, really hurt. But it, it's so those are kind of the good people and, and the bad people. And, and I think being able to it, it is true. I mean. Again, it's not necessarily who's a good person, who's a bad person in their own life. It's maybe who's a good person, who's a bad person for you. That's fair. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. You know, some personalities kind of like projects. They just don't line up and you need, yeah. to, you need to be careful. I, I can't stress that. We, you and I talked about it on a full show, and I know a lot of people really enjoyed it, but that, that more obsessed with Twitter than the actual work, that has to be a massive red flag for anyone. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it should be. And it's very obvious. It's very easy to check, too. I mean, if you are like, should I work with this person? Go on their Twitter. If they are tweeting every five minutes about bullshit the entire day, maybe don't work with that person. Yeah. Um, it, maybe you're a great writer. Maybe you are. Maybe you're on Twitter too, and you don't see you don't see the benefit of getting off. Like maybe you're not wired the way I am. That's totally fine. You know. Um, but yeah, like you said, different personalities match very well. And yeah, for me though, I just like people that are all about the work. You know, in general too. Uh, the people that I always trust and listen to in comics are the ones who have been around the longest, which is a big fucking obvious thing, but it's something that, so a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't know. John Romita jr. I don't like his stuff. He's so passe. I go, you know what? John's been around for over two decades. His dad was a legend. You're telling me you wouldn't want to buy him a couple beers and pick his brain. Like I bet he's got shit to say that no one else would tell you like that to me oh, is yeah. an asset. Yeah, like I love meeting those people. Klaus Janssen's another one. You know, anybody that's been around a long time, like they're obviously doing something right. You know, <laughs> it's it's amazing. The well, maybe it's just kind of natural human behavior to for some people to want to dismiss the past. And I, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I hear all the time whether it's uh, and even further back, people like John Byrne um, mm -hmm. gets a lot of heat these days. Like, well, his he's he's old fashioned and he's. Uh, his style is wouldn't work today and all the rest. And it's like, yeah, but he did manage to be at the top of the game for decades. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I was raised to respect my elders. I know we all call them boomers now, but I, I still look at an older person and I think, God, there's gotta be some stuff that they know that I don't, you know, and I'm going to ask, like, like I want to know their wisdom, you know? Well, I mean, if you're able to get free information, I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> it's like, how often does that come along? Uh, Ramita is a, is a great example because he is another one that, you know, I, there's been comments lately, again, about his style is old-fashioned. It doesn't work any well, but it's like he's been working since the 80s um, consistently yeah. and on top books for multiple big companies. You, you'd you be crazy not to try and learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, my friend Jimmy Bamiati, people like to bash him for whatever reason and like, Jimmy's been around a long time. He's got a totally uh, valuable career. He's not going anywhere. Uh, he's got, you know, like a dozen crowdfunded projects in his pocket. He's got an agent. He flies out to LA to pitch. I mean, yeah. you know, is he doing the top 10 books? No, but that doesn't mean you can't have like an amazing, satisfying career. And he's going to retire happy. 
in comics. Oh, like, no, no one retires happy in comics. Like, try to shit on Jimmy all you want. He's got to figure it out. Whenever he talks to me, I, I just absorb it like a sponge. I, you know, you, good information is it's it doesn't hurt to listen. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to take all the advice, but you're crazy if you just dismiss it. So yeah, I mean, because I met him at a bar in Baltimore, I, he connected me with his uh, accountant. This guy who handles a lot of artists' uh, accounts, like Adam Hughes and whatever, and uh, having a real accountant and not just going to Blockbuster every year was a huge boon to my career. Like the best part of going to that show in Baltimore was meeting Jimmy, who's a genuine friend, and meeting his accountant Ernie, who has mm-hmm. helped me dodge a lot of taxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much can can be saved. It, it's well, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, I'll do that later. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, what what cracks me up is there there are tax services, especially for consultants and freelancers and people who uh, who are working in that space, where you can save yourself uh, tens of thousands of dollars very easily um, mm-hmm. or more. And it's uh, it's it's amazing how many people avoid that for reasons that are. And, and, and I'm not talking about cheating your taxes, just yeah, hiring somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bizarre. Yeah, but next, speaking this of, gets me to the next point. That yes, it does. Gonna... Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. so rule number four, read your contracts and get a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and you said this as well. There's no reason why anybody can't find a lawyer for 150 bucks an hour. It doesn't even have to be the best lawyer. Just get a guy who's trained in the, the language of law to read your contracts and ex- approve it or at least tell you what it says. He doesn't have to be an entertainment lawyer or anybody expensive. Just get a guy just so you can claim that you did due diligence. But it's shocking how many artists don't even do that. Yeah, it's it's incredibly cheap. Um, I mean, since I talked to you, say one hundred and fifty dollars a lawyer, you should get a good lawyer. But most lawyers, uh, you can go in there with a cap amount. I think mm-hmm. people get. Uh, I, I mentioned this. Some of the comments I got back uh, on that advice last time was like, "Well, but lawyers will just keep you uh, keep billing you forever." And it's like, well, if you put them on retainer, you dummy. Yes, but mm-hmm. don't do that. I mean, just yeah. lawyers can look over your contracts for less than 500 bucks. It will educate you more than you can possibly imagine. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, this is not a core competency you have. Why pretend? Yeah. You know, the best part is if I see you in a bar and you give me your sob story about how you got fucked over by Marvel. And when I go, did you get a lawyer? You can say, yeah, I did asshole. And you'll shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. Think of that. <laughs> <laughs> you you won't have a, you won't you have to explain to people how dumb you are for not even getting a lawyer. You know, it, that's it, for something. It's got to be. I mean, it's it's weird. So I, let me t- ask your opinion on this because so many people right now over the last year, there's been this kind of surge of you've got to get an agent. I've got to get an agent, and I would say that that's that's the opposite order. Get get a lawyer first. Yeah, before you first. get an agent. In fact, get your lawyer to look over the contract your agent gives you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A lawyer, just yeah. The, you should have a lawyer from the beginning. Anytime you're signing a, a big meaty contract of any kind, you should have a lawyer. Um, my lawyer used to work for DC. She wrote all of DC's contracts. Um, she used to work for Jim Henson as well. She's like 450 bucks an hour or whatever. Uh, I got her a ton of clients because um, I was one of her first freelance clients. And uh, she's great. I mean, she's expensive. She's not for everybody. But uh, yeah, I've had her for years. I only got an agent. Actually, I don't even have an agent now. Uh, I've managed to get through most of this without an agent at all, but I haven't been gunning for Hollywood like a lot of people have. Um, the only when we did my when I did the deal with Millar, obviously we used his agent. Um, mm-hmm. My lawyer and his lawyer were acting together in both of our interests, so I was sort of piggybacking off of Mark, which is fine. 
And with this uh, Tokyo Ghost deal with um, with uh, Rick, we basically using his agent. But I asked my lawyer about his agent. Like I, I vetted his agent too. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, my lawyer has been around long enough where she knows there's only like three or four big agents who deal with comics, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, three of them I don't like. So just getting <laughs> that information on the side from my lawyer was helpful. Like, because a lawyer can say, they gave you a contract that's not really a contract. That's a big red flag. You know, if they're not using the correct legalese and they're expecting you to sign away points later on, like, that's a big red flag that your lawyer can easily point out to you, you know? So I agree with you, Perch. It's it's really important. It also, I mean, like I said, in addition to just protecting yourself, um, it will save you tons of money later. But it's also, it's it kind of to the earlier rules, it's a it's a truth detector around people who are trying to screw you. Uh, yeah. Lawyers are, are almost some of the most effective people at saying, yeah. This is weird. This is this is dodgy. You ought to look into this. Uh, they will find things to help you vet people better than you can in a lot of cases. Yeah. And it's like a good uh, accountant. A good accountant pays for himself. You know, he'll find you loopholes that you never thought of. So, yeah, he'll charge you a thousand bucks, but he'll get you, you know, fifteen hundred dollars worth of savings from the government. Uh, a good lawyer will save you uh, time, energy, which I equate to money later on down the line. Like I think a lawyer pays for him or herself, period. I know it's hard to think of that as you're shelling out that money at the beginning, but it really is an investment that you're going to get back, whether you realize it or not. Assuming no, they're a good lawyer. It, it is. And I, I think it, um, it, it's, it's just, they'll, like you mentioned here in your rules, they'll, they'll, they'll push for more. They'll, they'll think about things you haven't around uh, rights and around what you can do. And they mm-hmm. will, uh, they'll help you negotiate. I mean, frankly, I, I think in comics, a lot of the people you're negotiating with are often amateurs themselves. And uh-huh. so they can give you they can give you that upper footing. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And uh, under this rule, number four, the lawyer rule, I, I also would say uh, learn how to negotiate, try to push for more in your contracts and uh, learn when to say no. I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on this. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, learning how to say no. I, I mean, some deals are bad deals. And I mean, we saw a lot of those with, uh, I don't know, not going into to various names, but I think everybody's aware of at least one company that was trying to get people to, uh, to work for free or pay their way in. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deals, particularly if you're very early in your career where mm-hmm. it sounds like something that's going to help you out. And it sounds like something that is going to, uh, to mm-hmm. solve, accelerate you. But the, the reality is nobody asks you to sacrifice like that up front. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like if you're going to work with anybody as an artist, your, your time, you're going to spend five times as long on a, any book than a writer will. It just generally takes me, uh, you know, a week to write a book and uh, maybe four or five weeks to draw it. So the big labor, labor intensive part of the job is going to be on the artist. Um, a writer asking you to draw something on spec I think is bullshit. I mean, any writer who's taking it seriously should at least offer you a hundred bucks a page. Like oh, yeah. what, who, who can't save a thousand bucks to pay an artist to draw a few pages of a pitch. And then like who, at the very least, that's, that's, that's not even asking a lot. Uh, so when writers expect artists to work for free in any capacity, I, I, I call bullshit. And I know people say, well, writers don't have money either. Writers are, the writers are risking something too. Yeah. But not like the artist is, you know, and the right. writer's like the leader leading the charge and the the artist is trusting this guy or girl to make sure that the pitch is done correctly and that he's going to get his money in the end. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always asked for money to be paid for anything you do, period. 
No, it's 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 absolutely true. Um, if you're if you want to do something pro bono or free or whatever to have, then make that it should be your idea. You should be the one mm-hmm. coming with that to the table, not taking somebody else's yeah. offer. And if uh, if somebody's trying to shortchange you for the art as an artist, uh, mm-hmm. that's an indication of what's going to happen with the book because they're not going to be able to pay for the coloring or the lettering or the printing or the distribution. There's there's a lot of other places they're also going to try and cheap out on it. It's just mm-hmm. it's a sign of bad things to come where you'll never get your money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, would you say the same thing goes true? I, I, when I've done some projects in the past, I always make sure people are paid for concepts as well. A lot of crowdfunding. Um, people want the artist to do character studies and other things, but that, that should also be paid for. Don't you think? I, I always pay. I pay people ahead of time. I pay them a hundred percent upfront. I'm like this. I, so my friend Clay, uh, who I do a podcast with, uh, the badass podcast on uh, YouTube, uh, he helps me. Um, he's like my uh, concept editor for Batman, mm-hmm. uh, and I give him like um, on potholes too. He's my actual editor on potholes. So I said, "Well, Clay, you're going to help me on this thing. I'm going to give you credit on the book, uh, which I, I'm not allowed to do on Batman. But potholes, you're getting it. Uh, I'm giving you 800 bucks a book, so that's five grand because it's five issues. I'm going to send you a check for four thousand dollars now." And mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel the need to withhold half of it. I mean, the thing is, I've, he's a good friend, and I trust him. But yeah, I, I always pay and I pay up front and like I, I asked my letter of I'm like, Darren, you're killing it on letters. I feel so bad. I'm bugging you last minute. Can I send you a bonus check? Can I send you a check? Like, I don't want you to be unhappy. I, I, you know, I know how shitty letterers get treated. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I am begging to give people money uh, and it just breeds goodwill. And most people will say, don't worry about it. You know, like pay me later. Yeah. Yeah, try and pay your bills. Be be cautious of people who don't want that. That is, uh, it's it's just a, yeah. It, it's again, it's another red flag, and there yeah. is a lot of, there is a lot of pressure. Like, just work with me on this, and then this will get you a name. I I, I hate yeah. the uh, you know this is for your own good. You not yeah. taking. If someone says you get exposure, run away from that person. Yeah, that's <laughs> if they that's, say that's, you get a paycheck and exposure, then run towards that person. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, rule number five is, uh, we know, you and I touched on this before, is personally, I would recommend learning how to write. And if, or if you're not a writer, learn how to be a project manager, which is something that I don't think artists ever consider. Uh, mm-hmm. How many writers are floating around out there and they're like, well, I want to do this idea that's like Blade Runner. And they go up to an artist and they're like, can you draw these pages for me? I want to pitch. Why can't an artist say, why don't I hire a writer to write me a Blade Runner or something? And I tell the writer what I want them to do and I'll pay them and then I'll pitch it. Why doesn't anyone think to work that backwards, which is basically being a project manager? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that is an idea that people can do and no one is doing it right now. <laughs> Almost nobody. Well, and it's funny because, I mean, you know, you could make the argument Todd McFarland did that. That's true. Himself. Yeah. And it, it was successful. Like it, it worked out great for him. It worked out pretty good for Jim Lee as well. And a lot of these guys and, it was a blueprint for how you could actually be successful doing it. Um, yeah. The more strange thing is why did people stop? Yeah, that's true. I mean, did Jim go to Frank Miller and say, write me a Batman? I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I don't know. Um, but it, it, it definitely, when you look at kind of the foundation of some of these earlier books, you did see people mm-hmm. in project managers. I think that's the right phrase for it it's it's understanding scheduling understanding working backwards understanding kpis and other business things yeah it is it is uh no it's 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 being it's it's being a a full picture uh and i think you know it it, if you like you put here if if you have interest in writing then try it 
it's what what do you have to lose? There's lots of terrible comics out there. You're not going to be worse than those. Come on. <laughs> yeah, this always gives me pushback, but I'm like, you ever read a shitty book? Yes. Can you write better than shitty? Probably. So write your best C plus script and then draw it with your best A plus art. Uh, and I, I'm not being uh, falsely uh, humble here. Like I don't think I'm a real writer. I think I can sort of write one good thing a year uh i can sort of mechanic you know get a wrench and fix the, the script and mold it like clay and bang it into something that's palatable and then i can draw the ass out of it so people will think that it's an a plus book uh i'm really not joking around at all like there are writers like scott snyder can spin five books at the same time i don't know how to do that because i'm not a real writer i can do one <laughs> one a year and make that work Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, again, if everyone in comics was fucking Ernest Hemingway, then I wouldn't be writing my own stuff. But there's so many bad books out there. There's a very low bar on being a quote-unquote comic book writer uh, that I feel like artists should not be intimidated to do that. And I know writers are an- annoyed when artists try to do that because they feel like... <laughs> like, here's a side story. There are writers who are upset with me, and they're basically pissed off at me for three reasons. People I don't even know. They're mad because they think I can write. Uh, and they're mad that I prove that I can write and my book sells better than them. And they're mad that I took myself off the market, basically. Uh, because when it, the minute Sean Murphy had a hit with uh, Punk Rock Jesus or White Knight, well, he's not going to want to work with this writer anymore. So they're, they're pissed at me for three different reasons, basically. And I don't know what to tell them other than get over it. Um, <laughs> but if you're an artist listening, like I highly recommend learning how to write or at least being familiar with the basics so that you can spot a bad script Yes. get away from it or spot a bad writer that you don't want to work with. No, that's, that's wonderful. I, I think that's, even if you have no interest in writing, you should be able to know what a bad script is. You should, you should be able to know where the story is not going in direction. Again, that's going to benefit you. Yeah. Um, I, I think you know, you, you're not shooting to be the next best writer of all time. You're mm-hmm. shooting to be able to kind of represent yourself and, and in many cases represent your style. Well, I think, the other thing that I think would be would help there is that you get to understand how your style translates better. And that's information that when you do find some good collaborators, you're able to pass on, hey, here's something that I know I can I can draw amazing. Yeah. I can kill it on this if you give me this. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. No, the, the, for me, I had a few waves of like realizations that said I should try to write. One is like other people decide that they love or hate Star Wars, but I can specifically tell you which plot points bother me and how I would fix it. And that's the difference. Like you want to be a fan that complains or do you want to be like a professional that breaks things down in a fair way? And that's, that's the sign of a writer. If you watch star Wars and you hate it and not about the culture war shit, you hate it academically or the dialogue's bad. If you can explain like a professor, why it's then you might be a writer. It might be worth you Mm -hmm. trying to get behind that typewriter. Um, I remember getting a script where the ending didn't make sense because it's a kid who was trying to save his house, which was being foreclosed on. And because they didn't have a copy of the paper deed, the government was going to take it from them. So the kid needed to find the deed to prove that the house was theirs. That's not how owning a house works. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's the ending? That sucks. Like, I might not be a good writer, but I at least know how to make a better ending than that. Or, you know, I get another script with some dialogue where a guy was singing out loud while he was shooting a gun. I'm like, this is fucking lame. I don't. If I wrote a book like this, I wouldn't do this. And I finally had enough, uh, a list in my head of things that I thought my writer friends did wrong. I'm like, well, I think I know which mistakes to avoid. So I think I'm going to try this. And uh, yeah. I have to kind of 
there's a lot of good advice out there. There's good shows that talk about writing structure. And, um, and you, you, as you mentioned here, it, it gives you a plan B. It gives you control. Yeah. If, if you can write, then you have a great idea and you're struggling to find a good collaborator who can you know, crowdfund it or take it to a publisher or whatever else, you know, yeah. go into business for yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the advantage. So yeah, Scott Snyder has training in writing. He's got, a, I don't know, English degree professor. I don't know. He's super smart. Like mm -hmm. he's got stuff that I can't do. But what I can do is when I, cause I'm writing for myself, there's no miscommunication in the trade-off of a script. So when the script leaves the writer's hands and goes to the artist, 10 to 15% of it is going to be lost. Like the artist is going to misunderstand a line or maybe there's missing dialogue or something's not going to work. So Scott's going to have to fix his script. Even when I did the best I could with Scott's scripts, inevitably he got it back and was like, oh, Sean did great here, here, and here, but he really didn't do this very well. So I'm going to have to change some stuff. You know, and the beauty of comics is it's collaborative. So maybe that's what work with when I work with Scott. But the advantage I have that Scott doesn't is when I write my own stuff on Batman, there's nothing lost in translation. Like everything that's in my script makes it into the book. I don't have to change anything. And that is like a mutant ability that artists have as writers that writers don't have on their own, if that makes sense. No, I, I, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's putting more power in your hands. It's putting more control with you. And it, it, again, it, you may surprise yourself. I mean, you, you're going to know your style. It's going to yeah. help you. Even if you are again, working with another writer, it's going to give you, um, it's, it's going to be good. But the other half of it, like, like you mentioned, it's, it's being a project manager, being able to understand how to mm -hmm. work backward. I, I meet artists from time to time who get into projects and they wildly misunderstand when things are supposed to be delivered and they, they get late and they get a bad reputation early on. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, if you're, if you have some project management skills, you can make a little schedule for yourself. You will know. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's funny. Artists are brought if so making comic, let's just say there's 10 steps. Uh, you bring in the artist at step four. Uh, and then the artist sort of knows about storytelling which has to do with writing anyway, but I'll save that for another time. And then, you know, step five is, is ink it. Step six is color. Step five is letter, blah, blah, blah. But there's three steps that happen before you. It's, you know, conceive of the idea, write it down, pitch it, and then write the script. Um, there's not much, that, that's not that hard of a thing. It's not like you have to go to school to understand how to write a pitch and make it decent and put a script together. You know, it's not like engineering or anything like that. Right. So artists are very good at taking the ball halfway through and running it to the, the you know, the, the end zone. But it's not that big of a deal to say, hey, why don't you try the first three steps yourself? Because then you'll understand the entire project process. And even if you don't, even if you find you're not good at it, at least you now understand what a writer goes through and you have more information and you're equipped better for the future, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I learned but I think there's a <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really shy. They think that, well, writing is so nebulous and hard and like, I don't even know where to begin. And we just get so groomed to think one way. Like an artist sits down with a blank piece of paper and he waits for a guy to give him a script, to tell him what to do. That's what we eventually, after years and years of being a comic book artist, that's, we've been retarded into thinking that way. And that is the correct use of the word retarded. <laughs> a bunch of retards. <laughs> um. I've, I've taken too many flights, I guess, where I've been seated uh, at sometimes next to a writer and I'm watching them bang out a script between, you know, Newark <laughs> and, uh, and Atlanta. And it's like, I, I'm not trivializing writing. Obviously it's a very hard thing to do. And, and there's some yeah. incredible writers out there, but uh, if somebody's can, can get a script out for a Marvel book, uh, mm -hmm. you know, at 30,000 feet on a two and a half hour flight, Take a crack at it. 
maybe I'm just saying. Yeah. And you're not even writing prose. You don't even need to be a wordsmith. You just, you're writing a plot and you're writing dialogue and then the artist is going to handle the rest. Well, if you're the artist, you'll handle the rest. Like you don't even need to think in chapters and verses and it doesn't have to be worded so beautifully and multi-syllabatic phrases, whatever it is. It can just, it's very easy to write a comic. It's not like you're writing a novel, a comic. All you need is a plot and dialogue. That's yeah. it. You know, like it's it, my wife is surprised by how easy it was to write a comic actually, but she's afraid to say that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, it, and she wrote a good comic and she found it fun. <laughs> and I think that helped. And again, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's, this is less about saying, Oh, the writer job is easy. It's about saying, don't be intimidated not to try. You should yeah. try. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is, it is hard. It is not instinctual. Most artists will probably try and not like it. And that's fine. Um, but that's why, you know, Perch and I are heavily pushing this idea of project manager as your yeah. plan B. I mean, really, if, like, I don't know, but Brett Booth is so talented. I imagine if he wants to, he should be p telling writers, I want to do my own X-Men type thing. Can you write this for me? And I'll, I'll be the headline, of course, because I'm Brett Booth and you're not. Uh, mm -hmm. And sort of controlling his destiny. And uh, Brett might be wired that way. I haven't talked to him for a while. Yeah, I think probably. Um, no, <laughs> it, it, people should people should give it a shot. Uh, definitely. And, and again, it's... Uh, you, you don't have to be a genius at it. It does allow you to, and, and think about it. You can get the script for Frank Miller, the all-star Batman they did with Jim Lee. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what Frank Miller wrote there, I mean, he's got lines on it. <laughs> Speaking Check of the R word. Ass, Jim, make her ass great, Jim. And I mean, you could yeah. write however you want. That's, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, I, man, I haven't seen that. It's, I, I, it's a trip. I, don't, I, don't, I don't doubt it though. <laughs> it's uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's very descriptive. He, he spends a lot of time on Vicky Vale's ass. And asses. Yeah. Well, yeah. some guys are into that. Yeah. So uh, my rule number six, I, yeah. I expect to get some pushback from you because I'm not sure this is even really worth mentioning, but um, personally, I avoid long commitments in my career. Uh, mm -hmm. I think some writers are really pushy and will try to lock me down for long periods of time. Um, I know these writers think they have my best interest in mind, but I just don't think that they do. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I personally try to only do projects that are between four and 10 issues um, because doing f at minimal for projects to have any kind of impact with readers, I feel like four issues is a pretty good number. And if you look at how sales usually drop off with most publishing attempts, if you've got a book that's not quite a hit after issue four, you start losing money. Um, so four is a good number. The very minimum you should do a four issue series. Um, personally, I don't like going over 10 because I don't like being stuck in one book for too long. Cause I just get bored. Like I'd rather draw a bunch of different things. And I don't want to be stuck in sci-fi for mm -hmm. 10 years. If I really want to draw a Western. So maybe that's just me, you know, having ADD or whatever. But I also find that um, after the series is done, I can, uh, assess what I've done. I can, if the book's a hit, I can then ask for more money or leverage my newfound success to a better book and move up. And if I'm locked into one thing for forever, then I'm stuck at one page rate. I'm stuck and people are going to start forgetting about me. We'll just assume, oh yeah, Sean's been doing X-Men for 10 years. He's not going anywhere. Uh, and for me also is the original art part of it is I only have so many buyers that are going to want to buy Batman pages uh, if I do Batman forever, eventually they're going to run out. But when I jump onto new things, they're like, oh, shit, well, I got to buy Sean's new, you know, Highlander pages or whatever I do. Um, I like to sort of mix it up. That's kind of my brand. But <laughs> I don't deny the, because uh, I know you love, <laughs> just keep <laughs> one artist for a few years and don't let him go. 
I do. But, but I mean, this is an interesting dialogue because everything you're saying is right. And I think if you're an artist, that's exactly how you should think. You got to think about your career and you should think about what you're locked into and financially what's best for you. But this is one of those rare cases where it is, it is, there's a split between, you know, the customers are going to love to see long runs on books. Um, you know, they, they like consistency, but, and, and that's, that's, that, that can be true as well. I, I think, the sad part about what you're saying, and it is truly the sad part, is that <laughs> um, artists locked into long-term commitments definitely suffer in that world. They they mm-hmm. they do lose money over time. They do tend to run a high risk of getting pigeonholed. Yes, there's some like yeah. like Celestri and and Burn and others. They were able to push past it, but more often than not, uh, they it, it's their detriment. And I, I kind of, I hate that about this industry, actually, <laughs> that it's, it's backwards yeah. to me, or it's, 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 we shouldn't have that conflict, but it, yeah. it is true. Like Ch- Charlie Adler is one of the most well-paid artists in the history of comics, I would imagine. Mm. Um, I don't know many people who really talk about him that much. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you know, being on board, I mean, that book is a gift. Walking Dead, are you kidding me? I don't even know what he sells his pages for. I hope he's making, I, yeah, I know he's making a lot of money and good for him. Um, I couldn't draw zombies and people with melting faces for 10 straight years. I, I would, my face would look like that when I was done. Like, I just can't do it. Um, and I, I'm not really not passing judgment. I, I think it's great, but like, I'm just not wired that way. Or Ryan Otley, who's like a dear friend of mine, real friend, uh, not an acquaintance. Uh, how the hell did he do uh, that book for so long? <laughs> you know, I mean, Oh, it's he had true. so many pages for a while. He was literally burning them because he didn't know what to do with them, and they weren't they weren't selling. You know, I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> it's 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 completely true. I mean, and and they've given us something really wonderful. And I mean, with with both of those cases, I I, I want to hope, and I, I I would believe that Kirkman took care of them, and it was a good situation. Yes, um, yes. but you know, that's not how it's going to be other places. You're gonna you're going to lose out on page rate opportunities. You're going to, like you say, you're going to have limits to original art you can sell. You're, it's going to hurt you for your next job because you get typecast mm-hmm. to some extent. So it, it, it's, it's probably for the creator. And again, it, it, I hurt, it hurts me to say this. Yeah. For the writer, um, I think you're absolutely right. Again, as a customer, I, I hate it. And as a negotiation tactic, especially when you're hot and you're valuable, if they knew they're going to be losing you after four issues, your writer's worried about losing you. Your editor's worrying about you losing you. And you say, hey, guys, I could really use another 25 bucks a page. You're more likely to get that because you're scaring them, thinking you're going to leave. And if when they realize they can't control you, that's when you are better. That's when you have the upper hand in negotiating. Even if you plan on staying around for 10 issues, just lie and say, I can only do five. And they're going to ask you, like, well, what do you have to do? Other? I'm like, I got a secret project I'm not allowed to talk about. Just lie. Uh, and then when five issues are up, just be like, just make, start making noises like, yeah, maybe I'm going to leave. Maybe you start posting, um, on Instagram commissions of a book that's competing with your team just so they're like, Oh my God, he's going to move to Marvel. What's this? And they're going to ask you and you're going to be like, I can't talk about it. See your project, blah, blah, blah. You pull that bullshit on them. And then you're like, well, give me your best offer. If I'm going to stay around for another five issues, you got to have that mentality. You got to say it like you're ready to walk away and like these very basic things that nobody, everyone's afraid to rock the boat in comics. But I tell you, like the walk away is the best move ever when it comes to negotiating. <laughs> and if you're locked into a giant contract, you just can't do that as often. 
It's true. I, you have to play it right. You know, this is where kind of your earlier advice, you need to you know, know your own arc. You need to understand who your friends are. You need to know what negotiating power you have. And all of these things, all of these rules that you've mentioned earlier are good yeah. ways to do exactly that. Yeah. Um, and if you know those things and you have those in hand and you, you have a good sense of, of what's going on with your yourself, then it puts you in the driver's seat. You can and you should yeah. uh, walk away from bad situations or, or you know, get something better for yourself. I, the, yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't think the comic companies are wired these days to just, you know, come up to people and go, hey, you've been very loyal to us. Let's just give you some extra money because we're nice. Like, right. You're not going to do yeah. that. You know, there's the other, the catch 22 of all this advice I'm giving you is I'm basically, if people want to know how I was able to become Sean Murphy, this is what I did. This is how I think about it, right? The industry cannot function if everyone starts doing this, though. Um, if everyone starts acting like Paul Pope, Daniel Warren Johnson, and me, then, you know, the normal books that the meat and potatoes of comics. The Green Arrow books that need to get done, the X-Men books, the long, you know, those things will never get done if everyone starts acting this way. So the <laughs> advice I'm giving is like very, uh, it's very specific and hard to pull off. I don't know. I'm not, it's not for everybody, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, like you can, you're DC, like there's a lot of writers right now pitching DC. They want to do their own White Knight spinoff universe. And it's like, sorry, Sean's already there and we can't afford to do another one of these. And Sean's selling very well. So we're not, we're not doing that. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, I, I admit that my advice is very mercenary and specific, and it's really not going to apply to most people. But uh, I don't know. It's just I was writing this down for a friend of mine today, and I thought I should get it down in one place. That's why I reached out to you. <laughs> it's great. I know. And it's it, this advice is not going to work for everyone the same way. But the thinking through it is probably the most important part, even if you don't follow all of it, even if it doesn't work for you in your situation. Yeah. understanding the thought process behind it's going to help make you stronger. And no, that's the thing that I, I want to, my moment of humility here is just because it works for me, doesn't mean it works for you. Uh, it might backfire on you completely. Like I've had friends try to negotiate by playing hardball the way I would, and they just can't do it. I don't know what it is in their delivery or how they spin it, but they just don't, they should try a different technique and not my technique, you know? Um, yeah. Am I missing anything else here, Perch? Um, no, I, I, wanna, oh, I was going to mention, uh, if the artists who have been working in comics who are kind of stuck in the grind and can't get out of it, I almost want to point out that sometimes if their style isn't distinct enough, it's going to be hard to do that. That's true. Do you think there's any truth to that? I, I know I do. I think, it, but it, it kind of goes back to something you said earlier. It's, it's a distinct style, but it's also knowing what you're good at. And it's, um, yeah. If you know you're great at kind of kaiju type material, then yeah. make sure you're doing that. And don't take, you know, a romance revival book. I mean, just just make sure that you're putting your best stuff forward, and and that's that's going to help you break out. I see, there's a lot of people who have very generic art because they think the way in is I'm going to do this anthology story, and guess what? All these anthology stories are six to eight pages in a Marvel or DC book, mm -hmm. and they're slice of life type stories of heroes kind of catching up over dinner, and it's like yeah. that's not going to you're not going to look great. In that scenario, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other beauty of writing for yourselves. You can write in the genre you like. You know, if you don't like westerns, well, you're not going to write yourself a cowboy story. So, you know, write yourself a Blade Runner. Yeah, just, just um, get something else out there. I think it's great advice. I think it's uh, hopefully this was uh, entertaining for people. I'm, do I'm you, sure it was. 
I got to ask you this. Too. So first of all, congratulations on 20,000 followers, by the way. Hey, oh, thank you. That This, I have no idea why <laughs> or how, but um, but actually it's, it's funny because your advice uh, plays into the growth of channels, being consistent, getting stuff out there and doing what I want to do. So <laughs> Yeah. Do you think what you're doing is helping? Uh, um, I hope so. I don't know. Um, I guess yeah. it depends on, on the, the time of day. I I'd like to think so. Um, I hope it's helped some people. I know it's gotten some people pointed at some books they didn't know otherwise. Right. Um, I, if, if I fully thought it wasn't helping, I would stop. So I, I imagine for you, there's two benefits. One is you're just so exhausted by watching these boneheads run comics that you just needed to say something. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> some aspect to it. Absolutely. You, you make a very good living. You're very good at your job. The things that you say come from a place of experience and education in a very specific way that most people in comics don't have. Um, I think that it must drive you nuts. And you just, mostly this is your therapy, is what I would guess. <laughs> yeah, so you guess right. Um, and that's the dirty secret behind all this. It, it is... <laughs> it, it, I do. I struggle because I think a lot of the mistakes that get made are would be very easy to correct. And I, I would. I mean, I've I've joked about it before. Although it's not really a joke. I would go in and and uh, as a, as you know, as a consultant and, and fix a lot of this stuff for nothing. Or I would I would pay somebody for the opportunity to do it just because I want the madness to stop. Yeah. Um, which is the opposite of your advice. Don't give things away for free. But, <laughs> um, but this is it is like therapy because it is it is. Uh, uh, these mis- I hate unforced errors, and there's so many of them in comics. Yeah. I imagine that I think your podcast does help people who are listening and paying attention. I think there's a thirst for a small percentage of creators for this knowledge. Like the Ben Temple Smiths out there, the, the me out there, the, uh, the Joe Corallo knows a lot more already. Uh, you know, some of the other guests uh, are fans of good info, and there really isn't a whole lot out there. Um, like I think the information I've got from from this channel is more valuable than a lot of the books I've read. Like how to draw comics the Marvel way in some in some ways, you know. That's that. I, well, I don't deserve that, but thank you very much. That's <laughs> I mean, you do spend a lot of time uh, attacking your trolls or like putting out fires, and you do pay a lot of attention to social media for a guy who says get off social media. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. So I, you, you, that is fair to call me on it. I, um, I just because uh, we're talking as I'm going on a trip, and I'm, I uploaded about 54 videos, so I could uh just it will just continue um i always think uh, this is a morbid part of me the plane goes down i crash (laughs) and the channel just plot along for a month and nobody will know um that's that's not a happy thought but anyway um (laughs) as i'm going through it it is a i think the problem i have with social media is it doesn't make sense it is that unforced error period and i don't it it becomes like therapy i don't know uh i haven't finished the thought if that makes sense i haven't been able to say you know what screw it i'm done yeah. And it just, I keep going, but why is it so stupid? And I go back to it over and over, but I, I'm kind of, I made a little promise to myself to, to yank completely <laughs> away from that. Well, and, yeah. that being said, my, I, my favorite videos are actually when you're sh- Twitter shaming people when it comes down to it. <laughs> I know that you do it a lot, but I, I love it. It's just, cause I'm not involved with it. It's just like me. Eating. It's like popcorn gif for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so on that note, I'll get your opinion on this uh, without mentioning okay. We didn't mention this in the advice, but I think it's good advice. And I know there's a video probably will go up in like two weeks or who I have no idea when things are. Sure. Um, but it's it's this. If you're a lot of writers in particular, mm-hmm. uh, more than artists, go on Twitter and say things like, 
I think I'm a failure. I'm never going to make it. I don't know. What am I doing here? I, I should just give up. Yeah. And I, I think that's it, it just the dumbest thing you could do. <laughs> yeah. Well, so coming from a business background, I mean, you have an artist background too, don't you? Uh, not, not a good one. Not like you, but yeah. uh, a little bit. Yeah. I, I I, so I, I, I hate to give artists a pass because I'm, I'm very hard on artists and I'm actually very proud of that. Um, but I will say artists are a very emotional bunch. They, they need to be coddled. They coddle themselves. And uh, I've had really dark, lonely nights where I wasn't sleeping because I, was, I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my bills when I just wanted to be like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, having your phone by you to, to put these thoughts out there into the ether to get some feedback from friends or to at least get like, you know, pack pats on the back or people who show up and say, Oh, don't worry, brother, you're doing good. Like, I love your stuff. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to me. Like as, as, as a manager, as a marketing guy, I can see why you would say, don't ever do that. That's a fucking bad idea. As a therapist, <laughs> I could see why that person would do that in that moment. Oh, but sure. in the long run, I think those moments add up to an unhealthy thing. Like, I think it, it's like, you know, it, it, it's fine every now and then, but if that's your whole thing, if it's just feeling bad for yourself on your ch- social media all the time, and, you know, I, I think that's a bad look. And I think, you know, people will attack you for things you've said in the past or whatever. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I, I don't know how, it's exactly that. It's, it's you're feeling vulnerable, you're reaching out. But this is where, I can go yeah. back to the rules. Get some friends. That stuff yeah. you, you send privately to friends. <laughs> don't, don't send it out to everybody. I don't know how many times I see writers in particular post yeah. this stuff. And I will hear from several other people, including people who go into the thread and are like, no, man, brother, you're great. And I'll get private messages from them like, oh, look at what this asshole is doing again. And yeah. <laughs> get friends. Don't do this out in public. Yeah. It's funny. I did an interview with, uh, I interviewed Todd McFarlane for about two and a half hours on this guy's channel. And I, I'm like, I want to talk to Todd. I want to yeah. ask Todd the questions that no one else asks him. Like, I want to know about specific business things and blah, 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 blah. And Todd was down with it. And, you know, we're, we're friends. And uh, the guy lost the interview or <laughs> it only has sound. Oh, no. I don't know whatever happened to it. It's too bad uh, because I would love to have. Uh... But anyway, one of the things I asked him was, were you cool in high school, Todd? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. I had lots of friends. Everyone liked me. What do you mean? And I go, well, you know, a lot of people, he, Todd, Todd, Todd McFarlane, you know how people are in comics. Like a lot of people would say they weren't cool. Uh, he's like, oh yeah, I was into hockey. I was into this, I was that. I can't do the Todd voice as well as, as, well as Rob can. Um, but uh, what, what he basically said was he was well-adjusted and had a good sense of um, self-worth and wasn't awkward at all. And uh, he doesn't have that barrier to deal with that n- most people in comics seem to have is they yeah. were weird and nerdy in high school and they didn't get to be cool until, you know, they created a, a forum like Warren Ellis and started dating all their groupies or whatever. <laughs> oh, what, you got dark there for a second. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm making sure people paying attention. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. I, so, and uh, this is the most arrogant thing I'll say is like, I, I, all my friends in high school were, athletes so i was always trying to stay in shape to keep up with them like i you took a picture of me in art class like i didn't belong there at all i didn't look like i was an artist at all uh, i had female friends and i could talk to girls i have data strippers and you know whatever i had Anne hash hit on me once in a bar and it didn't phase me like i'm generally not awkward so a lot of the pitfalls that artists seem to fall into is just their insecurity coming to the surface yeah um and i don't know what the point of 
me telling them this, uh, explaining this other than saying, aren't I cool? Cause I don't do this. <laughs> um, no, it's, yeah. it's, it, it is that, I mean, it's, it's defeating yourself. It feels like, and, uh, and increasingly, I mean, for me, you asked the question, I mean, it, were you cool in high school? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I had, yeah. I had friends. I was on the, I, I was on varsity, so I, I did all right. There you go. I don't look like it now, but I was. I, Wait, I, you're like six four, right? No, God, no, no, I'm six. No, I thought you were really tall. No, 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 just huh, okay. Foot. And um, yeah, football and track, I did okay. Yeah, uh, but but those are you know, I, I mean, so you talk to girls and stuff. You you I, like, yeah. I had plenty of trouble with girls. Like, I I wish I'd talked to fewer girls actually. In in hindsight, with some of the things that went on, but. Did you, when you, did you ever uh, have a moment with a girl and you realize, oh, this is how the game works. Like, don't act oh, yeah. all insecure and weird. Act confident and bullshit your way through this. And they'll yeah. respond to that. And yeah. what's funny, I mean, how many dumb comedies and, and <laughs> movies are there that give that exact same advice? And, and people are like, well, I, I don't know. It's Everybody knows this. That's the game. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. There's a writer friend of mine who's uh, from New York, Italian. He's, he talks like a mobster. Uh, and everyone always told him is like comic book people are just not going to like you because you look and sound like the guy that used to flush them in high school. You look like the guy that used to beat them up. And they, and they said to uh, a lot of to, to me too, they're like, well, you're, if, if you're in shape in any kind of way and you walk into the bar con, it's like strike one already. It's like, Oh, Mr. Fucking athletes over here. And the guy who used to, you know, give me atomic wedgies is now getting into comics. Like they automatically don't like you. Um, and I always thought that was an interesting perspective <laughs> oh yeah no no it's it's I, it's funny how the world is circular like that but uh but yeah. that was a long time ago i'm old and crappy now so it's uh <laughs> it's it's funny when i go and uh i meet uh normies at comic shows when i'm at barcon and i meet other creators and they're normal like they're not really wearing normal clothes you can tell that they jog or work out or they're mindful of what they eat we always kind of have this like silent unspoken like Good to see you, man. It's good to yeah. see that someone else here is taking care of themselves. Like you don't have to say anything. You just all kind of sense, like, "Yep, I'm not going to die when I'm 65 with obesity." Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's funny. Sorry, I'm um, taking this podcast into very dark places. This is perfect. Uh, people are going to love this ending. I don't know. Do, 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 <laughs> I think that Hitler on Twitter might have been the, the best one at the beginning. Yeah, that, that will get the initial bleeding cool article. This will get the uh, <laughs> the fat shaming part of the articles later. <laughs> um, how uh, you asked me this? So people, I I don't. I, I guess I'll do the face reveal with you at uh, Emerald City at the end of Let's the year. Let's do it. I have no idea why people care though, because you you are looking at my face right now. There's nothing special about it. It's a gorgeous face. I think you yeah. need to show it off. Uh, you're full of shit there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm going to be in Seattle. It's uh, one of the only, it's one of the few shows I agreed to. I figured by December it'll be safe. We'll, we'll have COVID mostly under control and all that. Um, and yeah, I'm going to fly in a day or two early or late and I'm going to see you and we'll do a hotel or bar. You want to record or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm your guy. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. Well, I... Can you wear like a paper bag and I can like rip it off your face or something? <laughs> we'll have to think of something funny. <laughs> I don't know. I've got to, we'll, we'll have to do something funny. I, I people are expecting though. I, I don't, I think I sound like I look, but I, I have no idea. Yeah. You um, look younger than I thought. I, your voice is very uh, commanding and uh, mature. Um, people call you the father of the, the daddy of comics. What do they call you? The dad of comics, yeah. Dad of comics, yeah. You do have I a good dad voice. The terrible jokes, though. That's, no, uh, you have a good radio voice. Even my wife's like, man, Perch is such a good radio voice. And when she saw you, she's like, wow, he looks a lot younger than I thought. Oh, good. But okay. Maybe in person, you're very commanding and very alpha. 
No, I would say no. <laughs> but, uh, all right, well, that's good. I'll take that. Looking younger sounds sounds good. Uh, yeah, there you go. For a guy with kids, you look really young. Yeah, here, especially. There you go. Those kids are killing me slowly, but well. <laughs> Sean, I can't wait to see this at the end of the year, and um, hopefully sooner than that, uh, we'll have to we'll have to have some other Me conversations. Too. And yeah, yeah, man, I'll see you for. Uh, we'll, we'll start with some Jaeger in person. <laughs> absent, you got to go with absent. Oh man, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. All right, All right brother. Thanks for Thank uh, talking to me. I appreciate it. Take it easy. Talk to you soon.